All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Colossians. Now, the last time we were here, we were basically in the beginning of chapter two, where I was dealing with the issue of how Paul was confronting or rejecting both Gnosticism and legalism, which is that is legalism within itself is an adoption of the law of Moses whereby you might justify yourself before God. So it becomes an issue of justification, but not only simply an issue of justification, but more so, as we'll see in the context here, the standard of life. But at the same time, still don't remove from the background an issue. It basically becomes a prideful issue of some, of some kind of salvific worth. That is, you yourself are worth saving, worth salvation because of what you do. That is what you do in keeping the Mosaic law. So anyway, we're going to make this intro really short because I want to try to finish all of chapter two. And we're going to really get into the dynamics of the points in, uh, associated with Paul's rejection of legalism with respect to what these false teachers were trying to do with the Gentile converts of Colossus. But anyway, so, 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 so we were talking about the whole issue of Gnosticism. That is these vain philosophies of men, some issue, some idea of having this, uh, extended, uh, supernatural greater than knowledge that can in some, in some way, affect salvation, give a greater knowledge of God. And all of that is to be apart from Christ. Because if you notice, always go back and watch the videos because everything is related contextually. Paul is not speaking in a vacuum, but he is continuing his points of arguments concerning the things that he wants to address. And that is these false Jewish teachers who are bringing in additional teachings to the Colossians, simply saying that in some way or another, by having faith in Christ Jesus alone, the gospel, which was originally taught by Epaphras, but having faith in the gospel of Christ alone is not enough. They are incomplete. And Paul's whole, his whole argument is to say that in Christ, you are complete. You have the full assurance of wisdom, of knowledge, of salvation, of everything because of the very nature of the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Lord. So in him, you got everything that you need contrary uh, uh, in contradiction to what these false teachers have been trying to teach you. So he dealt with the Gnostic issue. So now enough intro. We're going directly into the part where Paul is dealing with legalism. That is respect to the Mosaic law. Now, before we get into this, what you have to understand, I think I just uh, 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 gave a somewhat definition and idea of legalism with respect to the Mosaic law. Let me say this, what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that 
he disagrees with the Mosaic law because the Mosaic law was the standard of life. It was the covenant that God had made with Israel, the nation, the Jewish people since the time of Moses, since the time of their deliverance out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. This covenant for hundreds of years God had with the people of Israel. And again, as Paul would say in first Timothy, what concerning the law? We know that the law is good. The law of Moses is good, but if used for how it was intended to be used. So Paul had no issue with the law as a standard of life. But what Paul's problem was, he understood, and we're going to talk about that. He understood that the law had been discontinued at the death of Jesus Christ, at the cross of Jesus Christ, and that the law was never given as a standard of life to the Gentiles. And since the law was categoria abolished at the cross of Jesus Christ, it was not intended to continue as a standard of life, especially for Gentile believers. And this was Paul's problem. And this becomes the fundamental understanding definition for legalism, trying to bound believers in Christ Jesus by the Mosaic law, which was abolished at the cross. We're going to see that, which was abolished at the cross, trying to bind them. But at the same time, in some type of aggregate form, you can see the pridefulness that effuses from such keeping of the law, feeling good about yourself. And you can see Paul discuss such things in the book of Galatians, because this was one of the issues that were taking place with the Galatian church. So enough said, let's get directly into the issue of Paul dealing with the law in verse 11 and for the duration, for the most part of chapter two. And in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, okay. So now let's deal with that. So now you can see the instance of Paul dealing with the legalism that is keeping of the law of Moses. Why? He begins to talk about here, the circumcision for the idea of circumcision was that you were coming in covenant under the law of Moses. So a man would become circumcised and then in his circumcision, that is the idea of the agreeance the covenanting to keep the Mosaic law. And you can see how these Jewish teachers, because notice Paul is now dealing with the issue of circumcision, dealing with the issue, uh, uh, inferring the keeping of the law of Moses. You can see how these Jewish teachers were coming to these Gentile believers. Remember the Gentiles were not circumcised under the law of Moses, but they were coming to them saying, you're not complete. 
There is something else you need to do. Believing in Christ alone is not enough. So you need to be what? Circumcised to keep the law of Moses. So what Paul is saying here is by your union with Christ Jesus, you are circumcised with uh, you are circumcised. That is and here is, let, let, let me just deal with the text as we walk through it. And that way I won't skip anything unneedfully. So in him, that is in Christ Jesus. And this is a, a, a doctrinal statement that you'll see you doctrinal phrase. Paul loves to use to talk about positional truths. Now, I, I, I pray, I pray, I pray I'll be able to get through this. But let me say this positional truth. What does that mean? These are statements of the, the believer. These are statements of how the believer stands because of his faith in Christ Jesus, because of that union that he has with Christ Jesus by faith. You believe that Jesus is Lord God and Christ Messiah, human flesh, died for the sins, for your sins, rose from the dead. You believe faith in Christ Jesus. This gives the believer a union with Christ Jesus, a sharing with Christ Jesus, certain benefits that come to the believer because he is now in Christ. That sense of union with Jesus. Thus, we have perfect righteousness. Now, I don't want to digress too much, but since I hit that, let me hit it and let it go. We, even though, as the Bible said, all have sinned and that and that uh, verbal tense is a present tense. So it is the sense of continue to fall short of the grace of God. So even believers continue to sin when we uh, come to Christ Jesus and are saved. We don't never sin again. No, even Jesus told his disciples when you pray ask for forgiveness. Why? Because we do continue to sin, but there's a difference in continuing to sin and living a life of sin. Okay. Sinning from time to time is not the same as living a sinner's life, but nevertheless, and we know that no sin can enter into the presence of God. So therefore, how can a believer enter into the presence of God when we all know that we continue to sin, whether in action or sins in the thoughts and the heart itself? Being in Christ Jesus. Why? In Jesus, there is no sin. He committed no sin and neither was there any deceitful words found in his mouth. Thus, as the believer by faith and baptism by the Holy Spirit are unionized with Christ Jesus, they are put into union with Christ Jesus, we share the benefits of Jesus's righteousness. So thus, as he is righteous, so we are righteous because what? We are in him. And this is just one of those uh, 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 statements, one of those ideas that deal with positional truth. One of the things that the believer benefits or shares with by being in union with Christ. Okay, so that is so, so important. And it is a very common theology of the apostle Paul, the benefits of being in Christ. So here by 
being in him. Verse number 11, there are such benefits by being in Christ. What? You are circumcised. Now, Paul is not talking about physical circumcision of the flesh, but he is talking about a spiritual circumcision that the believer receives because number one, Christ himself was circumcised. Christ himself was a keeper of the law and thus Christ himself perfectly kept the law. As Jesus himself would once say to those Jews, which, and it's a profound question to throw into their faces, which one of you accuses me of sin? Show me my sin. And thus we know, even as the scripture says, he did no sin. But anyway, so by your union, by our union with Christ, as he is circumcised, we are circumcised. And notice the circumcision without hands. That is, we are circumcised spiritually as we are united with Christ in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That is the removal of the body of the flesh. These things speak of sinful things. So thus we share in our union with Christ in his circumcision for in his circumcision as one who kept the law, he kept the law. How perfectly. And thus what? Thus, there is no sin in Christ Jesus. And by we being in Christ Jesus, we are now circumcised, but not a circumcision of our flesh, but a spiritual circumcision that denotes our union with Christ Jesus. Thus doing what? Thus doing what? Removal of our body of flesh of our sinful acts, sinful things because of what? our union with Christ. So that being in him gives a specific benefit that Paul is talking about here, the benefit of spiritual circumcision. And also with that circumcision, the keeping of the law, that's the idea as Christ himself was perfect in these things. Guess what we share? We share perfection in the keeping of the law, thus there is the what? Look at the last part of the statement. The removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The removal of sin. Thus what? This same experience that we've had in denoting our union with Christ is reflected in baptism. In what? Baptism. For in baptism, what? You go down, you go down under the water, you go down into death, you are raised up again, resurrection from the dead, into the newness of life, just like Jesus himself. Jesus went down into literal physical death in paying the penalty for our sins, and he was what? Raised from the dead unto a newness of life even for himself. And thus we being in him share these things. And that's what he's talking about. Again, continuation verse number 12, what we having been buried with him in baptism. This is our association with Christ Jesus in what Jesus did for us. We get dipped into the water, associating us with Jesus being dipped into the grave and what in which you were also raised up with him 
through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And as we are lifted up from the waters of baptism, it also shows what the depiction of our union with Christ as he himself was raised from the dead by the power of God. Again, the idea is union with Christ by faith, the believers union with Christ by faith and thus certain benefits that the believer has because of his union with Christ. And that union that he's talking about contextually, specifically here is the circumcision. But the circumcision, what? With respect to the keeping of the law. And he's going to continue to talk about, or should I even say, develop this idea concerning the believer's position with the law because of Christ. Thus, he says in verse number 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now watch the statement. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now that's the point. Paul gets into the very uh, evidentiary point that he is trying to make concerning legalism, a rejection of the believer in Christ Jesus being under the law, having to keep the law because of our position in Christ Jesus. What? When you were dead, 13, in your transgression and your uncertainty. So looking to uh, uh, formerly to your past, to your sinful past, being dead in transgression, uncircumcision of the flesh. You can see once again, he's kind of uh, 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 speaking towards the law for the law condemns. The law speaks of the righteousness of God. And thus they know by the very uh, nature of what the law says to do and not to do. They broke the law. So they were dead in their transgression and uncircumcision, but nevertheless, because of being in Christ, in Christ, faith in Christ, the benefits from faith in Christ, he, God, made you alive together with him. You are no longer dead in trespasses and sin, but you are now alive. The law is not, is no longer against you, uh, uh, increasing the debt of your sins, but the law itself has been satisfied in Christ Jesus. And I like that. And I want to digress, but I can't cause it'll get too long, but let me just simply stay with the text. So now what is your spiritual position because of being in Christ, your faith in Christ? You are alive together with him. That's salvation. You are saved, having forgiven us of all transgression. So thus, as the law has condemned us of sin, thus, what? Being in Christ Jesus, faith in Christ Jesus, we are now forgiven all of our sins, all of our transgression, and whatever strikes the law had against us, 
They are now removed because we are in Christ Jesus. So you see how he's really uh, 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 neutering the law in this sense. What? How Christ and how he lived, how he died, how he perfectly kept the law, all that he has done and the believer's position in Christ has neutered the effects of the law our transgression and thus us being in Christ, the law cannot speak against us. The law cannot condemn us of sin. Okay. So notice again, now the most important thing as he is continuing to speak about the law of Moses, what Jesus having canceled out the certificate of debt. This is the law. The law is no longer effectual in the life of God's people. Why? Cause the law, the certificate of debt, that's what the word certificate of debt means. The law has been canceled out. These were what consisting of decrees that were hostile against us. That is all of these things in the law simply brought condemnation. Notice, even in the teaching of the Apostle Paul, he has always taught there has never been salvation by the keeping of the law. The law cannot save. The law was not given to effect salvation. The law brings about the knowledge of sin. And thus it is what? Hostile to us. It ain't benefiting. Now, the law is good in the keeping. The perfect commandments of God. Yes. But to a sinful person, to sinful human beings like us, the law condemns us to death. To death. For by the keeping of the law, you cannot be justified. The knowledge of the law brings the knowledge that you have sinned against God. And again, as Paul talks about these things thematically in the book of Romans, and thus the wages of sin is death. Now that's hostile towards us. It's not bringing us life. It's actually bringing us death. But what did Jesus do? He canceled out this certificate of debt. He canceled out the law. And how did Jesus cancel out the law? How did Jesus bring the law of Moses to an end? When did Jesus bring the law of Moses to an end? Taking it out of the way, taking the law, what? Out of the way. It's, it's, it's categoria. It's abolished. It's abrogated. Taking the law out of the way. How did he do this? When did he do this? Having nailed it, the law, to the cross. So thus we understand when Jesus went to the cross, thus the Mosaic law came to an end. It was no longer functioning as the standard of life for a believer. Remember, the law of Moses never, and if I had to scream it loud, never saved anybody. It was simply, since you are saved, then God requires you to live in this way. Keep these 613 commandments. It never saved in the first place. 
It was a standard of life. So it no longer functions as a standard of life. That is, and when I say that, understand it this way. You no longer look at some, just call it Old Testament. Some people say that, or to even to be specifically those rules that were given from Exodus to the book of Deuteronomy, those commandments that God gave through Moses, 613 commandments, which became the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the standard of life for the Jewish nation, for the Jewish people. We today, since Christ has died, we do not look to the law of Moses in order to say we are bound by this and thus we should keep it. Why? Jesus took those 613 commandments. When he died, he took them with him. He took them out of the way. Thus, bringing the law of Moses to an end. And thus we can see what the apostle Paul was trying to say and to teach these Gentile believers who were trying to be influenced by these Judaizers, by these heretical Jewish teachers trying to tell them you ain't complete by Jesus. Just faith in Jesus alone. That's not enough. You need to be circumcised and you need to keep the Mosaic law. And what is Paul saying? No, your circumcision is not of the flesh. It is spiritual and you share in the circumcision of Christ himself. Then with respect to the Mosaic law, Jesus perfectly kept the law and thus by you being in him, you share in such benefits and with respect to the continuation of the law as a standard of life, it is no more. Why? Jesus took the law out of the way when he himself was crucified. And as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, that would do what? That would bring about his death, we know Jesus gave up his own life, but let's just continue with the logical thought, bringing about his death, thus the law too is being what? Nailed to the cross, bringing about what? The death of the law as well. So don't be persuaded by these false Jewish teachers telling you to keep the law. The law is no more. And that's what Paul was talking about. Now, he continues to talk about those things that were accomplished by Jesus in his death on the cross. Verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him. There's a problem right there. Okay. So let's just, let's just say it here because this really finishes the act, the idea of what Jesus did on the cross, those things that were accomplished in Jesus' death on the cross. What? When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, the rulers and authorities is speaking of demonic powers, even more specifically, Satan himself. And we see Jesus talking about that in John chapter 12, when the very context, when Jesus, when, and Jesus acknowledgement that indeed he is the Messiah. And I don't want to get into all of that. You have to go and read it for yourself. But in a nutshell, 
Acknowledge Jesus the Messiah. Jesus talking about the Greeks, Gentiles want to see him. So therefore we can see the, the gospel of salvation is going to be spread to the Gentile in Jesus because of Jesus. But it is because of a particular act. And Jesus says what? Now is time. Now is time that he has to be lifted up, lifted up on the cross. Why? Because if he remains alive, the seed bears no fruit. But if you take the seed and put it into the ground, death, the seed brings forth, it rises up and bears great fruit. This is the salvation of the Gentiles that Jesus is speaking about. The Gentiles who were coming to the family of God. But how and when? Through the death of Jesus Christ. But then Jesus also continues to say what? And now is the ruler of this world cast down. And the ruler of this world is Satan. What? The satanic powers. Satan himself was defeated by Christ Jesus when Jesus went to the cross and thus he received that he made a public display. This word means to make shame of, to make shame of. And then what? Triumphing over them, triumphing over the demonic powers and demonic spirits. Why? Because, and I don't want to get into it, but we can see threaded all throughout the scripture Satan has done everything that he can do to, first of all, to try to prevent the seed, the Christ, from being born. And even once the Christ was born, remember what Herod did to all of the babies two years old and younger, even tried to kill Christ. Even when Jesus was in his public ministry, the people would try to stone Jesus and all of these times try to kill Jesus or even in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, turn the stones into bread, make Jesus reject the father, bow down and worship me, make Jesus reject the father and turn to Satan as God or make, jump from this high point of the mountain so that the people will believe in the Messiah by Pass the cross. So once he could not kill Jesus, he made every attempt to get Jesus to bypass the cross, even speaking in Peter. And so what does Jesus say? Who do men say that I am? Some say you this, some say that. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you indeed are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus said, what? From that day forward, he began to teach them how, yes, indeed, this son of God, this Christ uh, has to go to Jerusalem and be mistreated by the elders and the chief priests and ultimately be put to death. And what does Peter say immediately when Jesus talks about his death? Peter says, no, this shall not be unto you, Lord Jesus. And what was the response of Jesus? Get behind me, Satan. I see you devil. I see you trying to keep me from going to the cross. See it? So what Paul says, but in the cross, Jesus disarmed them. He had victory. The cross of Jesus was not the defeat of Jesus by satanic powers. The cross of Jesus was the victory of Jesus over these satanic powers, making them an ultimately public shame. Okay, 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 okay. So 
That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Now, as we continue on in verse number 16, since through Christ Jesus, by our union with him, being in him, benefits that we have, circumcision without hands, perfection in the law, and even the abrogation, the annulment, the putting aside of the law by the cross of Jesus. The what? Putting aside of the law by the cross of Jesus. Paul continues on to talk about how therefore do not be subject to the law. The law is no more. Jesus put it away. So leave it be. Don't be persuaded by these teachers. So continuing on 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge. In regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belong to Christ. So he says, because remember, notice this, this is, no one is to act as your judge. And you can see what these uh, Judaizers, Jewish teachers, heretical Jewish teachers. Well, now you, you, you're not right because you're not keeping this. You are not right or you are not complete. You are not perfect. Listen, because you are not uh, keeping the things that have been inscribed in the law of Moses. The law of Moses tells you about food laws, food that are clean and unclean. It talks about things, drink laws and things with respect to that. Or it talks about festival days, Passover, Pentecost, or tabernacle, or the new moon for certain Jewish customs that we recognize at new moon, or even what? The keeping of the Sabbath day, which was most regarded by uh, pharisaical teachers, even the Jewish people. And so all of these things come forth from the law. And notice what Paul said again, no one is to act as your judge concerning these things which come out from the law. Why? Again, I've told you guys a hundred times so far. The law is gone, put away at the cross of Jesus Christ. So if someone comes to you saying you need to, you know, and we see this a lot. I, I notice I see this in the seven day Adventist church. See this now. You don't eat this. You don't eat that. You don't eat that. Trying to hold on to kosher laws about clean foods or you need to go to, to worship God on the Sabbath day. This is literally the opposite of what Paul is trying to say. No one brings this to you. These things are no more. The law is no more. Nobody can judge you about these things or, or why for all of these things. Even these things which were mentioned are in the law of Moses. These things were merely a shadow of what is to come. What was to come was Jesus, the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all things. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and thus all of these things that were spoken of in the law were shadows of Christ. You see, you have to understand it like this. 
Think that, that, and that's why I said, listen, this, this, that's why I said, listen, listen, listen. That's why it says, but the substance that word for substance is soma, which means body. The body is of Christ. Christ is the very essence of all things, the completion of all things, the fulfilled reality of all things. Christ, Him in Him. He is the body. So here's the idea. It's kind of like parabolic language that Paul is speaking of. Christ, the coming of Jesus, right? And the fulfillment of all things that we have in Jesus. Jesus, Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is the body. Jesus is the body. Now, imagine light hitting the body. What happens when light hits a body, a physical substance. It casts a shadow. And thus, Paul is saying the shadow that God casted was what? The, the, the new moon, the food, drink, the festival, the Sabbath day. These things were the shadow, shadow. But what? The shadow simply is a reflection of the substantive Reality. What is the substantive reality? Christ. Christ. So what is the greater thing to hold forth to? It is Jesus. For a shadow is a mere image of some type of casting from the reality. You want to hold to what? The substance. Hold to what? The substance. You cannot hold to a shadow. What is the shadow again? Food. What foods to eat? What drinks to drink? Uh, festival times and new moon and Sabbath day. The law is the shadow. But what is the body of the substance that actually the, from which the shadow is cast? It is Christ. So which, what should you hold to? Hold to the body of substance. Hold to Christ, not the law. Okay? So now, let's continue. So, but the point is, before we continue, we're coming towards the end. And I know this is a little long, but it, it needs to all be uh, uh, taught to kind of keep up with the contextual theme. You got to stay in the context so you won't get confused what Paul's understanding of the law is. He is not saying something is wrong with the law. He himself says the law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. He's just simply saying the law serves its purpose. And thus the purposes of the law has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And thus the law, there is no need for the law. Why? We have Christ. The law is shadow. We got the body. All right. So now let's continue on as Paul continues on to deal with some of the actions of these false Jewish teachers in trying to bind people by certain customs, traditions, and superstitions. You see it now? Remember the whole idea, these Jewish heretics and telling these Gentile believers, faith in Christ is not enough. You need to do this. What? Circumcise. Keep on law. You need to have certain beliefs. You need to have certain customs and traditions. These things that were uh, done and believed by the Jewish people. And you Gentiles, since you guys are coming like us, y'all need to be like us. That's the idea. So now let's continue. 18, 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. Interesting statement by delighting in. Oh, oh, oh. And I missed in verse number 15 triumphant over them through him. I missed that part. I'm sorry, guys. Where the word here is him. Actually, our toy is the word Greek. It should be it. Jesus triumphed, had triumphal victory over the demonic spirits and powers through it, through the cross. Okay. Now let's go back to where we are now. I just want to make sure I got that clear. Let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied held together by the point, by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth, which is from God. Okay. So again, you can see where he is uh, directly speaking against one of the uh, 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 issues of these false teachers, defrauding of the prize. And what does that mean? And sometimes the sense of defrauding of uh, uh, taking away their freedom that they have. Okay. Taking away their freedom that they have, but also too is the sense of being defrauded from the prize. Notice defrauding from their prize by delighting in self abasement and worship of angels, their freedom from these foolish superstitions. Don't let anybody take away anything from you. And the sense of, again, notice defrauding of prize. Think of it like this. It's kind of like a parabolic gesture of seeing a race, seeing a race. And if you have legally, you know, you, you, you've, you've kept the rules and you're running the race and you finish the race, what do you give the one who finishes the race? You give them a prize. But what, what are these false teachers trying to do? They're trying to say, no, nah, no, 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 you are not complete. You cannot get the prize yet until you do these things. Earlier, we've already talked about what circumcised and keeping of the law. And you cannot you're not complete simply believing in Christ Jesus. You cannot receive the prize yet until you what? You need to learn how to abase yourself, being humble in the worshiping of angels. And thus we can see that superstitious belief because we'll see a lot of that in Jewish culture, especially in first century Jewish culture of this aggrandizement of the angels, this great appreciation of the angels to the point that they kind of like saw angels as like a mediator or a go-between even to the point because of the high estate of the angels that angels are creatures who should be worshiped and Paul is saying no indeed you don't humble yourself to worship an angel even we can remember what the angel said to John as John himself was struck by the revelation given by the angel and John began to worship the angel you can kind of see the angel grabbing him and saying no sir do it not see to it that you do not do not worship me worship God and thus what do we see 
these teachers, Jewish teachers, bringing in this superstitious thing about worshiping the angels and that the Gentiles need to humble themselves. Notice self-abasement and talking about other visions, outerly world visions that he has seen and trying to bind Gentile believers by visions. I have seen, I have seen, and thus you need to do these visions. Notice what he said, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. These things did not come from God. These things came from an overinflated ego of these Jewish teachers. They were lies. They were false. And thus they should not be binding to the Gentile believers. So again, he is talking about what, but let me finish this because it, it finishes the very mindset and not this humbling yourself to worshiping angels and all of these visions that these so-called Jewish teachers have. But Listening to them, you are not, if you do, and Paul is saying not to do so, not holding fast to the head who is Christ from whom the entire body, that is, as he speaks again, using the parabolic language, from the head flows, you can see from the head flows what? Everything, everything, the neck, the body, everything flows from the head. Christ is the head of the church. He, he, I am the vine, says Jesus, and you are the branches. You are not able to bear forth fruit, bear forth fruit unless you receive nourishment. Um, you cannot bring fruit unless you have nourishment from the vine. The vine must send forth the nourishment to the branches. For without me, without me, you can do nothing. Same idea, Paul. Holding fast to the head, Jesus, from the entire body is supplied, held together by the joints and the ligament with a growth which is from God. It is from Jesus you receive what? Spiritual growth. It is from Jesus that you receive what? Spiritual nourishment. Thus, he is saying what? disregard all of this garbage teaching that you are hearing from these Jewish heretics trying to get you to humble yourself and to worship angels looking as if the angels as some type of mediating spirits can somehow enhance you can cause you to grow no sir look to Jesus hold to Jesus alone why he is the head and it is from him that you receive all the spiritual nourishment that you need for your growth. Jesus provides all of these things and this comes from the father himself, a growth which is from God. This is the plan of God, the father himself, that all of our nourishment, all of our growth, everything that we need comes from Jesus. And let me say it again, as I've been saying it again and again and again, 
Jesus alone. And this is what Paul keeps saying over and over again. Don't be misled to hold on to the law of Moses as if something in that will make you complete by the keeping of that. Don't be misled by worshiping of angels and don't be let nobody judge you because you're not keeping certain holy days. And uh, No, hold to Jesus alone for in him you're complete in him. You are well nourished. And this is the plan of God. Okay, bringing it to an end. Enough, enough preaching. If you have died with Christ, verse number 20, to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teaching of men. Might as well finish it out. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but, listen to this, but, but, are of no value against fleshly indulgence. I can hoop on that last statement and I love it so much, but let's work our way to it. So what does he say? If you have died again, that a, as if he's asking a conditional statement, but it's not so much. If it's not, even though it sounds as a conditional statement, if a, a pathonite soon Christoi apa tone story cone to Cosmo. If you have died with Christ from the elementary things of the world. Okay. <laughs> the sense of it is since you have died again, what is that reflection being in union with Christ, but the positional truth that I told you about the benefits that we have because of our union with Jesus Christ by faith in him, right? So what? Since that's the idea, you have died with Christ. We share with Jesus in his death, right? We also share with Jesus in his what? Resurrection unto new life. But nevertheless, we died with Christ to what? The elementary storkeon, the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to degrees? You see, we have died to certain elementary things of the world. We have died with Christ to the law. We have also died with Christ to certain uh, uh, philosophical teachings of men about certain things in this world. We are died to certain things. What are these philosophical things, teachings of men that in our death with Christ, we have died to what are these things? Notice, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All of these things which were being taught by what? These false Jewish heretical teachers saying that, listen, you shouldn't touch certain things. And you can kind of see an inference 
from the uh, Nazarite law and an inference from the Mosaic law about touching dead bodies and touching things that are dead, things that make you unclean. Do not taste. Again, you can see what? An inference to the kosher laws, to the food laws, and do not touch, again, the dead bodies and things. So you can see these things trying to be emphasized and taught by the false teachers. Why? Look at what he just said. Again, verse number uh, 21. All refer to the things destined to be perished and with use. Jesus says, listen, listen. There is nothing that enters a man that can make him unclean, but it is that which come forth from the man that makes him unclean because things that come forth come out of a man. These things come out of his heart and notice Matthew makes a parenthetical statement. Thus, when Jesus said these things, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He declared what all foods by this statement of Jesus to be clean. So thus what all of this is these things, touching things, don't touch certain things, don't eat certain things, touch not, handle not, taste not. These things are perished with the use. What did Jesus say that the food that enters the mouth, it passes out through the external. And y'all know what that means. So whatever food you eat, it ain't making you unclean. Why? That food ain't staying in you. That food will simply pass out of you. It is all these things, these commandments all perish with the use. Notice in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make. These false teachers trying to bind you with all of these regulations, these things which are to make you According to them, they make you complete in Christ Jesus. Paul's whole point is faith in Jesus alone makes you complete in him. Don't be persuaded by all of these things. Notice verse number 23. These matters. These are matters. These things that they have been trying to say to you. Mosaic law, worshiping of angels and having this humility. Don't touch, touch not, handle not, touch not. These things, to be sure, have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. When you look at these things on the surface, yeah, it kind of looks good. It looks re really religious, and it looks, you know, when you're humbling yourself into the angels and things of that nature, it, it kind of looks, it looks good. It looks like a, a religious thing, it, looks, it makes you look spiritual. That's the idea. They have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. Notice, this is not the religion of God. The religion of God, context, what is the context? Faith in Christ Jesus. Hold to the head. In him, you are complete. In him, you have full assurance of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. In him is the mystery of the wisdom of God. Jesus is all things to the believer, not these phony shows of humility and fake spiritual. They look like good stuff, but it's self-made religion. 
This did not come from God. This was something created by men, even namely these false Jewish teachers and self abasement. That is, that is humility, humbling yourself in such a way. Remember again, that reflection to the worship of the angels. So much is all men. Self abasement. And notice what he says, severe flagellation, severe treatment of the body. So in some way you are this sense of spirituality by mistreating your physical body in a harsh way, uh, uh, somehow that makes you spiritual. You know, back in, in Catholicism, back in the day where uh, people would walk down the streets and with whips, you know, in some, in some sense, appearance. And this is what Paul talking about. Appearance of spirituality, appearance of humility. It's all self-made religion. They would walk down the streets moaning or chanting and hitting themselves with whips. They have their shirts off and just flagellating themselves. Oh, 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 walking on glass. And somehow this makes them to be more spiritual. Paul says mistreatment, severe mistreatment of the body. It makes it look spiritual. He said, no, but it's not. It's not true humility. It's not true religion. It's false humility. And it's self-made religion, man-made religion. And in all of these types of things, when you get the conglomerate of all that Paul has been talking about from the keeping of the law, all of this worshiping of angels, humility, keeping of all of these made commands, touch not, taste not, hand, all of this, notice, doing all of this humbling of yourself, mistreatment of the body. Here is the most powerful statement I like at the very end are of no value against fleshly indulgence. What is he saying? And when you get through with all of this stuff that these false teachers have been telling you to do, keep them the law, circumstances, everything that I've been talking about up until this point, treating your body harshly, keeping of certain rules and all of that and, and, and trying to look spiritual. None of this, and I mean none of it, helps you in fighting against the inclinations of the flesh against sin. And that's what he means when he says, no vagans. You see, the bottom line, inside of us, all of us, all of us, speaking of the saints particularly, is the flesh. We, we, we have this flesh, this fleshly nature. The fleshly nature speaks of the sinful nature. And the sinful nature craves certain things. Basically, you could say categorically, the sinful nature craves lust of the flesh, sexual immorality, lust of the eyes, pleasing with greed and idolatry, pride of life. These are the sinful things of the flesh, fleshful nature. You see, you see what I'm talking about? And in all of this stuff that these false Jewish teachers are trying to tell you to do, and all of this is supposed to make you so spiritual, none of it helps you to fight off the, indult, the cravings of the flesh. Nothing helps you to fight these sinful urges. No matter how spiritual it may look, you may look, 
in your battle against your own sinful desires. How has any of this stuff helped you? There is only one help you got against the flesh. And I, okay, let me hoop. That's why I like Jesus in the teachings of the Beatitudes. That's when I want to hoop. What did Jesus say? Blessed are you. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are they who weep. Blessed are they who mourn and weep. Why? Because of their sins. They know that they sin. They know that they struggle with sin. They acknowledge sin in their life. They acknowledge in the fight against sin, still they cannot win because they cannot win against the struggle of sin in their own lives. What do they do? They weep, oh Lord, they cry and they mourn. But what is the nature of the weeping and crying? Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Oh, Lord Jesus, give me strength. Jesus, give me the victory over the crap that's going on inside of me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. So notice what Paul is saying. The stuff that these false teachers do this, do that, do this, do that, do that, do that. And all of it doesn't help you in fight against the sins of your own body. Only Christ helps us. Only Christ makes us complete. Only Christ and in Christ, we have everything that we need, including victory over our struggle against our own sinful nature. Notice, over fleshly indulgence. Who gives us victory? Where do we find value that we might conquer these things? Not in legalism, not in the keeping of the law and all of that stuff like that and all of the Jewish superstition. No, it doesn't help us at all. Who must we look to? Where must we find victory? In Christ and in Christ alone. And this is the teaching of Paul. And... This also in, uh, concludes the theological section of Paul. Because notice, remember, we talked about this earlier now, how Paul in his epistles, he would normally go what? He would divide it. There would be a theological issue that Paul would deal with. And then after the theological issue, he would continue on in that epistle to deal with practical teaching, how people need to live. The theological issue that Paul was living, but was dealing with here in Colossians is the, the completeness of the believer in Christ Jesus, the sufficiency of Christ alone, apart from anything else. That is the theological statement. Thus, since we are complete in Christ, there is total sufficiency in Christ because of who he is and what he has done to him alone and do not allow yourself to be persuaded with convincing words from whatever teacher it may come or any kind of show of humility that looks like a very spiritual thing. No, you hold to Christ and Christ alone. All of your benefits from the head flows, the nourishment to all of the body, all of your benefits 
flow from faith in Christ Jesus alone. And this completes this particular section here. Okay. In the end of chapter two. Now done with that. I know it was long, but I hope your heart was really blessed by that. And you have a better understanding of what legalism is and have a better understanding of what it means that Paul rejects the law of Moses. Not that he said, not that he's thinking the law was good or Paul did not have a belief in the law. He understood the law and how God gave it in his original intent, but that he understood at the cross of Jesus, the law died when Jesus died. And thus it is no longer a standard of life for the believer. We are now to hold to Christ Jesus and not the shadow, the law hold to Jesus, the body for in him, we have everything that we need. And this was the purpose and plan of God. All right. All right, guys, if this, Teaching has been a blessing to you and the Lord has touched your heart. Will you consider to support this ministry, this teaching, this channel? Uh, uh, there is a link in the description that you can use to support the ministry. And I'm asking if that is something God touches your heart that you will do. And also, if you will hit that like button and uh, subscribe to the channel, which helps us to propagate these teachings. All right, guys, it's been a wonderful blessing to join with you in these teachings. So join me next time as we move into chapter three, three and four, which will be the formation for the practical session that Paul gives. That is practical teaching. Now being in Christ, how shall we live? And this will be the continuation of this. All right, guys, God bless you. See you next time.